Good morning and welcome again. We're grateful that you're here today. It's a beautiful day and we are very thankful for the opportunity to be together this morning to worship God. We're always grateful to have visitors with us. We want you to know that we would love to have you come back and be with us again. And as we always say, if you're looking for a church home, we want you to consider the work here. It would be an honor for us to have you come and join hands with us. We're looking for good folks to come and to help us expand the borders of the kingdom in this community. We're going to be looking at Psalm 51, the passage that Ben read just a moment ago. Specifically, we're going to look at verse 3 and also verse 12. As we think about the theme, my sin is ever before me. The backdrop to Psalm 51 is David's sin with Bathsheba. Understandably so, David had difficulty putting the past behind him. And I think that's the case for all of us. Sometimes in life we make mistakes. Some of the mistakes that we make no doubt carry more weight than others. Some of the Mistakes that we make in this life carry greater consequences than others. But nonetheless, it is always a challenge to put the past behind us and move forward. And I really believe that there is a biblical way to put our mistakes, shortcomings, sins behind us and go forward. I want us to begin by talking for a moment or two about the gravity of sin. In Psalm 51.3, David said, in a very succinct way, I acknowledge my transgressions. As I think about the gravity of sin, first of all, let me just very quickly define for you the term sin. The word sin literally means a missing of the mark. John tells us in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 4 that sin is the transgression of the law. And the devastating effects of sin are realized in the words of David. Look at verse 4 if you would. David said against you, you only have I sinned. David here of course is talking about his sin with Bathsheba. And while it's true, David sinned against Bathsheba, her husband, Uriah the Hittite. Ultimately, his sin was against a gracious God in heaven. And so the bottom line is, any sin is against God. I mean, ultimately, whatever we say or do, the people that we may hurt, yes, there may be grave consequences as a result of what we have said and done. But ultimately, our sin is against Almighty God in heaven. Now, sin oftentimes poses some dilemmas in life. Let me just share with you some of the things that grow out of the concept of sin. First of all, I think about the entanglement of sin. Sin literally weaves a web. And there are times when it's difficult for us to extricate ourselves from the problems 
that we have created in life. David had created some real problems. And so when you look back to 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, you'll see him working in an effort to extricate himself from that relationship. The only problem is God knew what he had done. And so God dispatched a prophet by the name of Samuel to stand before him and to let him know, hey, this is what's going on. But nonetheless, as we think about the entanglement of sin, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about how people are taken captive by their sins. And of course, the devil is the one that is at the root of this. And then in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter in his letter in the first century identifies people that had at one time become members of the body of Christ only to leave the Lord. They had, as he said, escaped the corruptions that are in the world through lust. But he said they are again entangled therein and overcome. People sometimes get entangled in a way of life. And there are, there are some situations in life that make it very difficult for us to get out of. I'm not saying it's impossible to get out of a lifestyle or certain situations, but sometimes it is difficult. Because, first of all, you have to make the decision, I'm getting away from this lifestyle or I'm coming out of this and then moving forward. And then there's a second thing that comes to mind, and that is the embarrassment of sin. David was the king of Israel, wasn't he? David was probably the most powerful king and the most prominent king in the history of the United Kingdom. David was said to have been a man after God's own heart. And sometimes we ask the question, how could somebody that had such a rock-solid relationship with God, how could somebody like that get entangled in a life of sin? Well, what we have to understand is the devil's at work. And sometimes the devil will prey upon our weaknesses. As a matter of fact, he always tries to prey upon our weaknesses. That's why Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In Luke chapter 15, we have a story of a young man that asked his father for his inheritance. And the Bible says that not many days later, he gathered all together and went out into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And the Bible tells us that he began to be in want. After having spent everything, he has nothing. And so he goes and joins himself to a citizen of that particular country. And Jesus in his narration of this parable said that he was sent out into the fields to feed with the swine. Now you have to understand that for a Jewish boy, a Jewish young man, any Jew for that matter, this would have been the height of embarrassment. Is it possible for us to say and do things in life that leave us embarrassed? Yes. I remember some years ago watching the news one evening, and a former president was being interviewed, so to speak. 
And he was very candid in saying that he had not had sexual relations with a certain woman. Let me tell you what, it was a blight to his presidency. It was an embarrassment. And there are times in life when we can say and do things that will embarrass us. David embarrassed himself, his family. He embarrassed the kingdom with his relationship in the long ago. And so these are some of the problems that grow out of a life of sin. And then there is the emptiness that can sometimes result in a life of sin. Again, I think about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 15. The prodigal son had gone out and spent everything that had been entrusted into his care. And Jesus said in a very concise way, and he began to be in want. You ever seen somebody that's been turned upside down and all the coins come out of their pockets? I remember years ago when I was just a boy going to Six Flags in Atlanta with my family. My dad and I rode a particular ride and as we were on this ride, we were flipped upside down. Everything in my dad's pockets began to fall out. That's what sin does to people. It will leave you empty-handed. There are lots of folks in our world today they have been left destitute by a life of sin. If you don't believe me, look at some people that are homeless today. They've gone out, they have literally consumed everything that they have financially with a problem called gambling. There are others, they have spent their life savings on drugs and alcohol or some other type of, of lifestyle. There are lots of people in our world today, they have been left empty and broken by a life of sin. And so the gravity of sin, but there's a second thing I want you to see, and that is the guilt of sin. And this really, I think, underscores the theme of our whole study. In verse 3, David said, my sin is ever before me. Whatever you do, whatever you say, wherever you go, Ultimately, those memories are seared into your conscience. And the problem becomes ridding yourself of those things that have been imprinted on your mind. And so here's David and he's saying, my sin is ever before me. Here's what happens with a life of sin. We talk about the guilt of sin. It does a couple of things. Number one, it robs you. It robs people of happiness. After David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and you begin to look at his lifestyle and some of the things that grew out of that relationship, David was extremely distraught, unhappy. In Luke 15, when I read the parable of the prodigal son, I see a young man that went out looking for the bright lights and found misery and was left unhappy 
in his state. And so it will rob you of happiness and it will rob you of hope. You see, what the devil wants you to think, there's no way out. The devil wants you to think that, that you're being held captive in this way of life. And so what you need to do, just continue on. David in the long ago said, my sin is ever before me. There are a couple of things that I want you to see in light of this. We talk about the guilt of sin and the fact that it will rob us of our happiness and our hope. In Ephesians 2.12, Paul talks about those who are outside a, outside a covenant relationship with the Lord. And he said, they are without hope and without God in this world. We talk about a helpless, hopeless feeling. That's pictured by Paul in his letter to the saints at Ephesus. But how many times do we have the idea that we are unwanted and unworthy? One of the greatest tools of the devil is to leave you thinking there's no way God in heaven could ever want anything to do with you. There is no way that a gracious God in heaven would ever reach out to you. But I want you to listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The redemptive story is aimed at whom? Sinners. Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke 19, 10? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ is interested in lost people. And the idea that the idea that has been fostered upon some people that God does not want them is a lie of the devil. And then this idea of being unworthy. Are we worthy of the love of God? No. But God still loves us, doesn't he? God still cares about us. God still wants the very best for us. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 that God would have all men to be saved. Look at that term, all, A-L-L. -L. God's inter interested in everyone. God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Peter said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, in Luke 15, again, we go back to the prodigal son. Here's a guy that went out and blew everything that had been given to him by his father. He's in a state of destitution. And that light comes on. The Bible says, and he came to himself. And he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish here with hunger? This will I do. I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Did you catch that word? I'm not worthy to be called your son. That, that's how people feel. You may be here today and you feel unwanted and unworthy. You have this idea that because what you have done, where you have been, what you have said, because of your lifestyle, there is no way a gracious God in heaven would ever reach out to you. Let me tell you what, the good news is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to seek and to save the lost. That means he's come to save all of us. He's interested in you as a human being. When Jesus went to the cross, 
He went with you in mind. The Lord Jesus Christ thought enough of you individually, personally, to suffer, bleed, and die for you. It may be the case that when we talk about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, that we do so in an abstract way. And maybe sometimes we fail to personalize the message. What I want you to see is that God is reaching out to you. Here's David in the long ago, and David is saying, my sin is ever before me. It may be the case that you're here today and you're saying, you just don't understand. You don't understand. I can't rid myself of what's been seared into my mind. I understand that. But what I want you to know is, God still loves you. He still cares about you. And he still has the ability to save you. There was hope for David. And there's hope for you. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see in our study. And that is the guarantee for sin. What you, what you have to understand is that for every problem, there's a solution. For the problem of sin, there is a solution. There is the solution called a Savior. Salvation. Listen to what David said in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Now just think about that for a minute. David is saying to God in heaven, restore to me the joy of your salvation. There are two things that I want you to see in this point. Number one, God will forgive your sins. God will forgive your sins. What had David done? Committed adultery? Had another man killed? Uriah the Hittite, who was the husband of Bathsheba, And yet, David realized there was what? He realized there was hope. You need to see today that there is a God in heaven that will forgive you. The psalmist said on one occasion, but there is forgiveness with you, O God. God will forgive. Now, here's the difficult part. Sometimes we have difficulty accepting forgiveness from our Savior. Here's what the Bible says. Think about those people that were in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day. Peter had pointed out to them, to those that were assembled on that day, that by lawless hands they had crucified and slain the very Son of God. And so in verse 37, the Bible tells us that they were cut or pricked in their hearts. They cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Here were people that had been indicted by Peter as being responsible for the death of Jesus, the Son of God. And here's what Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Now, sometimes we grade sin 
understand sin is sin. All sin is against Almighty God. The Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But sometimes we tend to grade the sinfulness of certain activities, don't we? So that being the case, let me ask this question. What would be worse? What could be worse than having been responsible for crucifying the Son of God? I mean, just think about that for a minute. Does drunkenness compare? Does fornication, adultery, a life of crime, a life of theft? I mean, would that compare? I mean, all of those sins are wrong, yes. All of those sins stand condemned in Scripture. But here were people that were guilty of putting Jesus to death on Calvary. And Peter said, let me tell you what, there is hope for you. Christianity is a religion of hope. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Christianity is a religion for people who have a problem with sin. If sin were not a problem, Jesus would never have come to earth. We'd be out of business. But the fact of the matter is, sin is a problem. And sometimes we have difficulty accepting forgiveness from a gracious God in heaven. Here's what the Bible says. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. That's what God said. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. I don't care what you've said. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what kind of lifestyle you're caught up in. God will forgive you if you'll come to him on his terms. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God, repenting of your sins, and being buried with him in a watery grave of baptism. Rising to walk in newness of life. Now there's a second difficulty that we have sometimes. And that is the difficulty of forgiving ourselves. Now go back again and think about what David is saying. My sin is ever before me. Sometimes the most the most difficult thing to do in life is to learn to forgive ourselves. I mean, that's hard, isn't it? Sometimes people say, you, you just don't understand. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand where I've been. You don't, you don't have any idea how deep I am in a life of sin. Let me tell you what, I understand. I know what it's like to be in a life of sin. One of the reasons I know what it's like because I've been there. I've been knee deep. I promise you. And yet I believe that God forgives. And I believe that we have, we have the ability to forgive ourselves. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals, thieves, drunkards, covetous, revilers, extortioners? He said, shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but such were some of you, but you were washed. Think about where those people were in the first century. And we talk about, we talk about bridging the gap and understanding that this book was written 
nearly 2,000 years ago, and yet it's timeless. It transcends culture. Here were people that were steeped in a life of sin, and Paul's saying, look, you've been forgiven. When he wrote his second letter to the church at Corinth, he could say, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What Paul's saying is, the past is behind you. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You ever thought, I wish I could just start over? I wish I could just begin again? I wish somehow there was, there was the ability to just wipe the slate clean, put everything behind me, and go forward? Let me tell you what, Christianity affords you that opportunity. The slate will be clean. You can start over. God will forgive you. What you have to do is learn to forgive yourself. Now, not only will God forgive your sins, but the Bible says God will forget your sins. Now, God is an omniscient being. He knows everything. He sees everything. And I think that in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, when the writer said, I will be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and your iniquities, I will remember no more. What the writer was saying in the long ago is this. God's not going to hold those things against you any longer. He's not going to bring them up and say, you remember when you did this back on such and such a date? Or do you remember when you said this? You remember when you went there? God's not going to do that. God will not only forgive your sins, but God will forget your sins. In other words, that slate has been wiped clean. If we had a board up here, and there were writing on that board. Let's just say that the board is completely covered with writing. And we could take an eraser and wipe that board clean. That would be a picture of what God can do for you in life. He can wipe you clean. All that writing, all that mess on the board, it's gone. Whatever's in your past, it's gone. It's over with. It's done. It's behind you. Now here's the difficult part. We have, we have difficulty forgetting our sins, don't we? It's a problem, isn't it? Look, I can remember, I can remember, my, I can, I can remember what I did in the past. I, I can remember some of the things that I've said. I can remember some of the things that I've done. I can remember things, I, I can remember places where I have been. Am I proud of those things? No. But by the grace of God and by a desire to do what is right, I can put those things behind me and go forward, and you can too. I want you to walk out of here today knowing that there is hope for you. Look, David said, my sin is ever before me. I have trouble sometimes, all of us have trouble sometimes accepting forgiveness from God. We have trouble forgiving ourselves. And we have trouble forgetting our sins. But I want you to see that in Christ Jesus, you can accept God's forgiveness. You can learn to forgive yourself. And you can forget your past sins. Because God's taking care of them. Listen again to what the Hebrew writer said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. No more. You're clean. You're washed. You're justified. 
in closing today, I want to ask you this. Where are you in life? Let's just say that your life is buried in sin. I want you to know there's hope for you. I want you to see that God can change your life for the better. This is a message of hope. Christianity is a religion of hope. God has done his part. And God has promised to do his part when we respond to him. Here's the question. Are we willing to take the step? To take the initiative to turn things around? You see, if the devil had his way, and if the devil has his way, you'll stay where you are. That's just the kind of guy he is. He's not interested in you. He doesn't care about you. Matter of fact, he's intent on destroying your life. And he will destroy your life, and he will destroy your soul if you let him. On the other hand, God's not like that. God cares about you. God loves you, and God has your well-being at heart. And so the real question is, who do you want to follow? You want to, you want to follow somebody that doesn't care about you, that's intent on destroying your life and your soul, or you want to follow somebody who loves you, who cares about you, who's willing to forgive you, who's willing to stand by you until you die? I want to close by saying this. Friday evening, we lost Sister Payne. We had the opportunity of standing at her bedside as she labored to breathe. She was in pain. Three times, she asked for us to pray on her behalf, and we, we gladly did that. Sister Payne had lived a life of faith. Her time was short. She was about to step out into eternity. I thought about the angels that would be coming to take her home. Sister Payne had said a week earlier she wanted to go home. She wanted to go home and die. Let me tell you what. She's at home now. Before she died, they sang three songs. The last song, It Is Well With My Soul. Quietly and peacefully, she left this earth. You see, death's coming. We can, we can leave this world with confidence. We can leave it with certainty. Or we can leave unprepared. So it's your decision. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, today's the day. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. We're not promised another day, another hour, 
Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. If you're here and you're not faithful, we want to encourage you, come home. I don't care where you are in this life. It's not what, it's not what you were, it's what you are today. And you can change for the better. If you're unfaithful, could we encourage you, come home. Let us pray with you and for you. I promise you this, God will forgive you. And you can leave here with your head held high. You can leave here as a faithful child of God, back in fellowship with God and his people. Every sin washed away. Every sin put behind you. Come as we stand and sing.